This is Aviary Peregrine. We're sponsored by viewers like you, as well as Pacific Thought Views and Warzoi Books. Please welcome yourself to enjoy this fine show and have yourself a good day now. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, see you later. Hello and welcome to Aviary Paragraph. It is December 14th, 2015. I am Merton Salinas and with me, as always, is Zan Mars. Hello, Zan. Hey, hey, hey there, uh, Martin. We have a great show for everybody today, all those birders out there. Our cover story today is the coot, the American coot that is, for <laughs> Felucia Americana, or maybe it's Feluca. Uh, Americana. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Hmm, well this, uh, this bird is ready to be taken on, full bore, so to speak, and we are ready to talk a little bit more, uh, American cooch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I think so. but there's more in store for listeners today, as we will also play a little spotter sound. We love spotter sounds. We love it. We love it. Tell a few birding tales, stop to shine our linzer torches on birding fashion, and chat over the efficacy of night birding. That's going to be a good topic. I love that. Yeah. But begin. But to begin the show, we will, of course, put our spotlight on our bird of choice today, the American coot. Are you ready, Zan? Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm ready. Now, the coot, have you actually seen uh, an American coot before? You know, I've I seen a coot. I've also, you know, actually, um, it's interesting, I, I, I smelt a little bit of the coot, because when you're over there going where the coots live, it smells a little... You get a little uh, sort of marsh smell. Maybe a little mud. Yeah, a little bit of that muddy smell. Now, I'm kind of digging into my memory banks here. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm thinking that one of the uh, colloquial names for the coot is actually the mud hen. Yeah, no, uh, I've heard that as well, the mud hen. I've definitely heard that. Yeah, so the coot is uh, probably mud hen, hangs out in mud. Hen, because this thing, got to tell you guys, Acts a lot like a chicken, but no relation to him. No relation. Well, it's a bird. Besides that, it's a bird. It's in the order. It's of in avies. the order of avies. It's. Uh, it does act like a hen, but it is not related in any way to the hen. Well, it is. Well, but even, oh yeah, of course, but not not really. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, okay. I mean, all right. Oh, no, I know. It's yeah. Not really you see what I'm saying there, though, right? Yeah. Because. All right. One thing we can't agree on, Zan. This all is right. an often overlooked bird okay the american coot is surprising to many initiatory birders i don't agree with that because i like to see the coot when i'm out uh birding have you ever you feel like sometimes you look out into a marsh and uh i i do overlook it you overlook it i do overlook it yeah it's small it's low to the ground you can quite literally overlook this bird it is a low to the ground bird maybe a harrier is flying over i'm not harrier sometimes it's going to take your attention yeah well you see a lot of those skyward birds and um they're easy to spot, but you see them, and they like to eat the coot, actually. Yeah, the coot has a tough life trying to just kind of get away from those it's got a lot of birds. A lot of uh, birds that fly, they don't, um, don't they eat the coot as well, Martin? You know, some do. Okay, yeah. No, see, I, I know that some that fly that eat little birds, they also eat the coot. 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of a medium-sized bird, so it'd be a stretch for some small raptors, but uh, if the opportunity arises, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see, even say, a Cooper's Hawk. Well, I'm right there with you on that one, I gotta say. I'm right there with you. Cooper's Hawk, yeah. Now, I gotta take that back, though. I would be surprised. I mean, I'm just thinking about that. I just had the image in my mind. That would be a surprising birding scenario. Yeah, yeah, it would. Now, here's another surprising fact. The cooch. Okay. Many birders look I'm, at I'm it. I'm with you. I'm with you. The first thing, <laughs> yeah. The first thing they say, they yeah. go, "What's that? Uh, what's that duck?" Oh boy. You ever looked at a coot and thought, "Now that's a strange-looking duck." Yeah, every day of my life. Now here's the reason why. Up until today. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something about the okay. Coot well, that, that's uh, why it's up until today. This is gonna really ruffle your right. feathers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. The coot is not a duck but instead originates from the family relite, meaning the coot is in fact a rail. It's a swimming rail. Rail, that kind of reminds me of like uh, steps, what you use when you go down a pair of steps. Yeah, and this, you know, maybe even we could think of it as... Uh, it is the, low to the ground, so at the bottom of those steps, yeah. the rail uh, stops just before you reach the bottom. It's like the rail, if, yeah. if, if the wetland is a staircase, yeah. the coot is its rail. We could we rail that? on somebody. Now, we got to find out a little bit more about the etymology of rail. I mean, that's just going to be our research for the week. Yeah. Rail and coot. Rail yeah. and coot. Now, this guy over here, Zan, crazy as a coot. When it comes to birding, of course, I'm going to be nuts for birds. I mean, I, I'm, I'm nuts for birds every day of my life. But I will say that, um, you know, when I, when I hear a name like coot and I see it attributed to a bird like that, and I see how, how beautiful that coot, that coot is, I wonder to myself the name uh, to be uh, sort of a name that describes this bird. I don't think this bird's a coot. I wouldn't describe it. You know, a coot, is a, that's an offensive term, usually. Now, I think that the term coot, crazy as a coot, or, or coot, actually comes from the odd behavior and overall, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it, weirdness of this bird. Huh. I never heard. I never thought of that. So, really, Zan, in addition to not being a duck, in, okay. in being a rail... One of the most interesting aspects of the American coot has got to be its feet. Now, I know these things are often swimming in the water. Those birders out there, they'd love to spy the feet of the coot, but they're just so often under the water, kind of blocked by the grasses, sedges, bulrushes, those plants that are typically growing up in a wetland, obscuring your view of the coot. Uh, but if you got a chance to see these coot feet, and in fact, Sam, I got a good surprise for you. I actually have... A picture of the American coot's right, take a look at this. feet right here on our Whoa. screen. Whoa! Wait a minute here. Wow! Now is this taken to some sort of special uh, camera? Or something? This is a normal camera. This is this just is a, a Nikon uh, camera wow. you'd get at any camera shop. Now I gotta tell you guys, there's this uh, unusual color uh, turquoise. It must be some sort of foreign color on this bird's feet. They got some green as well, and um, that's key lime green, sort of like the pie. And uh, I gotta say, when I look at these, I'm saying, wow. That's a beautiful, beautiful foot. And I, I do like feet. Yeah, this makes me think about feet in a whole new way. Because when I look at this, I'm, I'm saying, huh, those are, those are very, very nice feet. Now, when you see the feet of this coot, uh, that's when it really starts separating itself from the ducks. Now, a duck's feet are what we call, uh, commonly, we'd call them webbed. Yeah, the webbed feet of the duck. A more appropriate term would be that they are palmate. Palmate. Right. Meaning that they are webbed. Now, in the case of the coot, what we are seeing here, but what we're seeing here is not palmate feet, but instead lobed toes. So imagine each 
of the four toes of the scoop, the, the three front toes primarily, mm -hmm. have these beautiful turquoise lobes coming off, kind of flaps of skin coming off those toes. You're seeing that, aren't you, Zan? Yeah, I'm watching the sort of oscillating rhythms of that uh, turquoise uh, coloration, kind of exposing those lobed frontal varieties of their, uh, they're certainly um, an amazing sight to behold. And I, I think that is just definitive of what we're looking for when we look for that sort of rail-esque, uh, sort of bird-like appearance in, in a bird like this. Yeah, and so all of our huge variety of North American waterfowl, those mm. palmately footed ducks, mm. when they mm -hmm. swim through the yeah. water, they are going to be paddling their feet, just paddling like a duck. <laughs> but this coot, let me let me tell you about this, okay. Dan. All right. This coot, actually, to swim, yeah. is yeah. going to be flicking its toes at a rate of 10, sometimes even up to 20 times a second. Wow, that's fast. That is very fast. Yeah. Now, if that was an engine, what kind of car do you think that would be? If we're talking Ooh. RPMs, Ooh. you know, um, I'm gonna give my, I'm gonna have to pass a coot call to this one because I think that uh, when I think about cars, and you know, I often do, I find myself a lot, a lot of times on birding, I'll be thinking more about cars than birds sometimes because I'm just a real bit of a car nut, and um, when I'm when I'm out there birding, I'm thinking to myself about my my Honda that I have. I'm thinking. Wow, I wonder what I could do to sort of upgrade a lot of the different systems that are in there. I've added a custom exhaust pipe lately and some other features that I, I really enjoy. Um, but I got to say, if this car was a was an engine like this bird is, um, I would say that the engine would have to be a V8. Oh, I'm right there with you. It's a luxury bird. Is it a Hemi? Yeah, it's a Hemi. It's a Hemi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now. Another thing that really, I mean, we, we've been talking uh, just barely, kind of on a dabbling level. Mm. We've been talking about these coot feet, mm -hmm. but I really want to dive into this. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the coot sure, let's not only the has these amazingly strange, weird, unbelievable feet, but the placement of the feet are also something that sets the coot apart from I was a little ducks. bit perplexed by the placement of the feet. Now, on those ducks, where would you imagine the feet? Are they near the uh, back of the body, the center? Boy, uh, that's a tough question. You know, I'm going to have to go with back of the body. Yeah, you know, maybe a little towards the back, but in case of ducks, we're looking more at the center. Okay, these are center center feeted, yeah. So let me ask you that again. In uh, in the case of the ducks, where are you going to really expect to find the feet? Uh, in the back of the body, the center, the front? I guess the center. Yeah, definitely. Where do you find them on the uh, coot? Now on the coot, it's a whole nother story. Let me take a guess here. Could you find the feet in the back of the coot? Yeah, way back there, right near the cloaca. Yeah, okay. I kind of see what you're saying with that one now. That's an interesting point that you brought up there, and I, I'm going to take that to heart. One of the ways I've always liked to think about this is here's mm. this mud hen, this coot, this rail, and it is truly an aquatic bird. It's a water bird of water birds, all mm. right? And this thing, mm. it has got those feet set way back on its body because it's not so interested in being able to walk on land. Yeah. What yeah. it's really interested in is being a superb swimmer. It's interesting that you say that because uh, this picture you brought up has a coup walking on land. Now, they will, on occasion, actually get out onto the land. Okay. I like to think of it the same way, on occasion, I might go swimming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you there. All right, okay. <laughs> so this coot's got its legs just set way back. Oh, yeah. I like to think of this another way, is that uh, a motor on a boat 
Yeah, you're going to find that on the back of the boat. Right, so the coot's kind of more like a canoe, I guess, something that you paddle. It is maximized for that water efficiency. Right. So this thing is swimming through the water. Gotcha. It's diving in the water if it needs to. I mean, this coot is good I was actually watching coots uh, fight. Now, when they say crazy as a coot, I might say that's violent as a coot because these coots get a little bit, they roughhouse with with one another. When you get a lot of coots together, uh, one coot will be there and another coot will come right along and the two coots, they just kind of squawk at each other and, and uh, you know, they're squawking away and you got one coot there and you got two coots and, and one of those coots is just kind of dropped below the water. The coot's shoving it down and saying, yeah, choke on that, huh? Yeah, choke on that. And, um... They push them down that water. And they, 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 come on. I got to say, I, I hear you, Zan, because I often, you yeah. go up to a small pond, you see a couple of coots. I often find myself thinking one coot's going to the other. This pond ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We're That's just getting a little yeah. crazy over here right. in the studio. Okay. Now, uh, another thing we really got to talk, talk about, when we're just kind of overviewing this American coot is that this coot is a builder of some just unbelievable structures. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, when we think of a nest, you might uh, call to mind the image of a classic cup nest of, say, an American mm-hmm. robin, or a smaller, daintier nest of a yellow warbler. Still you know, I was going to say, I think of a robin's nest if I think of a nest. Yeah, a mud nest, maybe even a swallow, a nest that's uh, nudged no, up in the corner no, of No, I think a... of the robin. You're kind of a one nest kind of guy. When, I, when, I, when I'm thinking You're about putting all your eggs in one nest. I'm putting time. my eggs in one basket. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about this more, but uh, right. it's not what the coot does. Yeah. Now, the coot builds, like I said, really an unbelievable nest. Okay. This what's, what's, nest, so ni- what's so nice about this nest? It's a floating nest. Oh, wow. The male coot, to start off this process, will actually build mm. platforms within a marsh. You know, in American culture, um, if you, the closer you build the water, the higher the property value. So you could say these coots are uh, are uh, building those cha-ching nests. They're kind of the cha-ching nests of the birding world. They're the real estate tycoons of every wetland. Yeah, you got those cha-ching nests out there. Now, the male is going to go out there, it's going to build up a platform, and it's really doing this to perform on that platform and to attract a lady. Mm. Now, ultimately, what ends up happening is that that platform might be used or might not be used. Yeah, I was going to say it's a little premature by the, the, that male coot to build his nest, and uh, you know he might not get a little eggs in there. Now, the eventual nest that's built is actually made of those rushes and grasses that grow along the wetland. The coot builds this floating platform, typically Mm -hmm. anchored to the side of either the edge of the wetland or a small island within that wetland. And that nest is truly floating. The coot has to constantly go back and forth, adding new material to the nest. Okay. So, I mean, imagine if you've got uh, maybe a fixer-upper kind of house and the roof is breaking, the toilet's breaking, this and that's breaking, then you you can definitely relate to the coot. Because it has got to constantly fix up that nest. I understand. And really, you think it couldn't, just when you think it couldn't get any better. <clears throat> the coot not only builds this floating nest, but it's going to build a ramp leading right up into that nest. Wow, kind of an easy operation to get in, huh? Okay, so um, I hear these uh, break down pretty easy, though, because they're water-based nests, so they aren't there for very long. 
yeah, the cuda is going to use that nest. It's going to be constantly tending to it. But once uh, once the babies have fledged, then that coot's is going to let that nest uh, just go. That being Seems said, what I said before about that cha-ching nest, uh, those higher property values, if in American society people were to build their homes on the water and then destroy those homes in maybe a month's time, uh, the value of those homes would probably be lessened a great deal. Yeah, maybe what we're looking at here, it's like a houseboat, really. Right, it's kind of that three pigs situation. But that's enough about the coot for now. With that being said, now it's my time to shine. You know what I'm saying? Now it's uh, Zan's time to take take the wheel, drive this thing in off the off the cliff because we're going we're going to Spotter Sound, baby. Spotter Sound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So spotted sound, you know this one. We got three sounds. That's the first sound. That's the bird sound. Second sound. That's a bird sound. Another sound. Third sound. Of course, that sound is going to be uh, just a sound. So with that being said, we go to spotter sound. I'm going to test our number one birder here in the AP Studios, Martin Salinas. Okay. Uh, so on spotter sound, we got sound number one here. Now, Martin, this is going to be just a bird sound on spotter sound. Let's see if you can hear this sound and tell us what this sound is. Okay. You ready? I am ready. All right. So Martin, do you know what that uh, that sound is here on Spotter Sound? That was a very that was a big flock of birds. So I know it's hard to distinguish between those big flocks, and uh, I know that when it's a one bird around you, when you get a lot of birds in a flock. Boys, and you really put me to the test on this one. <coughs> I gotta tell you. Yeah. Uh, this bird, I'm, I'm trying to gather, you know, those birds know that you gotta gather as many clues as you can. So just from this sound, what I'm mm -hmm. really hearing is what. I believe to be waves. So I'm thinking this okay. is a bird near a tidally influenced body of water, which definitely makes me think, okay, we're talking salt water. This is a salty bird, a salt water bird. You wouldn't be lying. That's All that's right, so far. we're on track there. So that still leaves us with a big group of birds. Now, it's a group of birds that is also sounds very large, but uh, just from the sound, I know that it's not a goose. Uh, haven't heard a duck like that before. So what other bird could there be in that big of a flock? I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards a goal or a turn, but, uh... So, Martin, yeah, that, that you know, you were close there. Uh, I will say you mentioned the bird in the birds that you said. Now, out of those birds that you'd offered us, 
Which bird do you think that is most likely to be? Because now that you've lowered it down a second. So what I'm picturing, Zan, is that that was uh, a sound coming from a nesting colony. Mm -hmm. uh, goals would be a little more raucous. Mm -hmm. uh, so I am actually going to go ahead and say that those were turns. This is why I like to have Martin in the studio. First off, Martin's a great guy. Secondly, um, you know, he's got that sort of, uh, you know, a lot of times when we're off air, we're just joking around in here at AP and uh, here in the great old U.S. of A., I gotta say, Martin, he's a he's a winner when it comes to uh, looking at bird sounds. He's a real winner. <laughs> Great job, guy. I, I, that was a turn, in fact. All right, so we got that second sound coming up for you, Martin. This is the second sound on Spotter Sound. This is a sound and another sound, as uh, we would like to tell you here. Now, this sound is a very unusual sound in that there are two sounds playing at once. So uh, I'm gonna play a sound for you, and hopefully you're gonna get this sound here on Spotter Sound. As men of science, I'm certainly aware that the value of this great ship will building lies in its peaceful usage. With it, we can learn what lies beyond our solar system. And yet, the ship is dangerous. Enemies could use it against us. And should that occur, you know that we'd all be defenseless, and the destruction could be terrible. So we will have to continue working in secrecy for a time. Uh, Martin, so did you have any guesses as to what that sound is? Well, Zan, I'm going to go with a swallow. Uh, as far as type, I am going to have to say we were listening to a tree swallow. You're going to be sad about this one. You're going to be blue about this one. You're going to be real blue, and you're going to be depressed because this one was, in fact, a blue martin. Oh, the bigger the, swallow species. The blue martin. The purple martin. As well as... Is what you meant to say, the purple martin. No, this is a blue martin. <laughs> blue martin? I'm saying you're a blue martin because this was a purple martin we were playing here on the show. Wow. In the background of that blue martin, to make it even worse, was Attack from Space. That's a 1965 film. It's currently in the public domain. It's a fantastic film. You get the chance. I checked that out. Oh, you know me, Zan. Yeah. I, I love your movie if recommendations. you like the classics... This one's a classic. It's one of those black and white films. It's not for the snooty people who enjoy a color film. You're not uh, finding this in 3D. You're not going to find it in IMAX. Yeah, no snootiness allowed, okay? <laughs> All right. You got to check that at the door. Yeah. Okay, so we got sound three on Spotter Sound. And again, this is just a sound here on Spotter Sound. Now, Martin, do you have any guesses as to what that was? I'm going to guess that that is a recording from a live uh, boot camp event in the U.S. Army. Okay. That was very close, uh, i got to say. But that was a drill sergeant from 2013. Martin, good luck on uh, the rest of the show because you really upset me on that. How about that?
right, so moving on, uh, I'm personally, story coming out of uh that and this one's called you can't fool a cooch uh this one is about how american coots employ selective conspecific brood parasitism now i know those birders out there a lot of them they love to look at the birds they love to watch the birds to identify the birds they're hearing something like selective conspecific brood parasitism and they're saying tell it to me in english all right uh, selective conspecific brood parasitism. I went to college a long time ago. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, Zan. This is something that's just truly incredible. So American Coots, the female, when she lays an egg, she will actually go into the nest of other American Coots and lay her eggs there. Now that's where we get this idea of conspecific brood parasitism. So that brood parasitism would be one bird laying an egg of a certain species laying its egg in a nest of a different species of bird. That's our typical brood parasitism. Now, conspecific brood parasitism is a little different in that you've got the coot laying her eggs in the nest of other coots. Now, I know you've heard of this in cases of coots, but have you also heard of this in the case of uh, the moorhen? I have not heard of this in the case of the bush chit. However, uh, the bush chit does in, uh, employ a very unusual strategy in its nest building and the rearing of its young. We might have to save that for another episode. Now this conspecific brood parasitism, what's so interesting is not just that the coot is doing this, but that a coot that has been parasitized will identify the eggs that are not her own. Now you want to talk about crazy as a coot, this is as crazy as they come. This is out of the ballpark crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, put this coot in a straight This is a whole nother game. Yeah. So this coot, once she identifies that there is a parasitic egg in her brood, okay. sometimes she will eject the egg. Wow. But other okay. times, even though she has identified that egg, mm -hmm. she will go ahead and raise it as her own. Ah. Interesting. Now, our friends over here on slowburning.wordpress.com, who uh, actually published Sometimes this I might article. wish he gave the uh, egg to me because I could uh, use it to eat it. Yeah, I've never heard of anyone eating. I've heard of quail eggs, duck eggs. You don't hear coot eggs much. You, you don't hear coot eggs. Anyways. Yeah. Hmm. Looks like Anna Glover might be coming to the studio. Oh, we've got the 6 o'clock check-in from Anna Glover coming to you right here <laughs> oh, yeah. on Hi, Aviary Paragraph. <laughs> Hi, Birders. How are we doing today? Oh, we're doing good. How are you doing, Anna? Doing great. Been some mostly static here and there, but we are seeing some things. Okay, that's great. So for all you, um, what are they called, fanboys of AP out there, um, you, you want to know the inner workings of this system? Ask her, because she knows them all. It's like all up in her noggin. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. she has just got this whole operation. So... In terms of AP. I mean, typically, I want to downsell. Now, I know, uh, Anna Glover, when we were talking earlier uh, off the air, mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Um, I, you know, I really like to see the percentages and I like to, you know, just kind of move in and out of them. Do you, uh, do you, um, now in terms of social media marketing, we don't yet have a Twitter account up. Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you, and that, that hurts a that lot. That is ironic, yeah. Right. And, uh, do you think we should sort of begin tweeting? We were thinking about live tweeting this show. Do you think beginning tweeting is sort of the next step for A.V. or Paragraph? I think we need to get an 18-year-old to do that, because I think, you know, people of our age probably, you know, just, just trying to get into the youth market, I think, is really difficult. So, if there's any 18-year-old birders out there that want to hang out with us alone in a studio and just get to know us a little bit, um, or seven, 16 or 17 really would probably even be better, maybe even 15. Um, and if you want to help us do like a Twitter account um, and just kind of teach us, you know, what to do, um, you don't have to tell your parents that you're here. You know, we could write a note for you um, and work on it with you, you know, just just us and you. So just let us know when you can do that. Well, thank you for that. It was a clever insight. You know, it was a beautiful situation you had. Go in there. Desire to be. All right. yeah. Anna, I got to ask you, outside of all this shop talk, because, you know, we've been talking shop. How's the birding been? Good as always, Martin. So uh, sightings, sightings. Let's hear about last those time sightings. you were on the show. You gave us a great sighting. That was a, not a sighting we'd seen very often. It was one of those warbler sightings. It was a rare bird. Well, this morning actually, I, I came across about four Greek blue herons and yum is what yeah, I say. Something that looked like a it might have been a dowager, but it it, it might have been a kiwi bird. It looked like a little kiwi bird. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell you, when I was younger, when I was that age of the uh, of our intern of our hopefully of our soon to be tweeters on the show, I was working at the uh, state park, where right next door was uh, uh, the largest great blue heron roost in not only just Washington, not only just America, but in the whole United World. Where was the that? Whole, that's right outside of Issaquah, Washington. That's a tough one to spell. Us and um, you heard it here. Yeah, you did, and uh, it was a beautiful performance. I love to watch those birds, and I gotta say, it's a beautiful thing. You see the size of these birds, and I gotta say, it's just been fantastic to have you here for our six o'clock check-in. Yeah, yeah. But Anna, before you go, do you have any questions for uh, Zan or me? I do. Is there a word for a bird that makes you feel both hungry and that it is beautiful? Yeah, you know, I usually I don't say there's one specific word. I usually, if I'm talking about bird. I'm going to be talking for a while. There's going to be at least a paragraph. That's why we named this show Aviary Paragraph. This is a little known fact. When I look at a bird, I'm not just going to talk about it in one word. We're not just taking notes. We're writing paragraphs. We're writing paragraphs. After paragraph, after paragraph. We keep doing this show. When you look in your heart. When you look in your heart.
Salinas and with me as always is Zan Mars. We're gonna break away from the coot a little bit here and you have something to tell us uh, some really ideas about birders and things mm. that birders mm. wear. Yeah now see uh, I was looking into birding a little bit over the weekend and um, you know you might notice in the last show I was talking about this guy I met at the deli um, a little bit ago and uh, me and him actually become close friends recently and uh, we've gone out birding a few times, um, actually, uh, since then, over at the Nisqually Wildlife Refuge. And there's actually a great place to bird right by um, our local recycling center here in Olympia. And um, I will say that when we did go over to the local recycling center, he came uh, in a purple shirt and uh, some sort of yellow, yellow pants. I think they were some sort of dockers. And I said to him, buddy, what are you doing? What is he wearing? What, what is he wearing? Me, I got my green, I got my brown, I got my beige, you know what I'm saying? I got my hat on. Oh, I know thing. how you like to bird, Zan. Yeah, you like to bird like a uh, hunter will bird. And be honest, because a hunter, even though he's going to bird and he gotta, he's going to kill those birds, he's going to murder those birds. Um, we birders, we, we bird with our eyes, and we but we like to uh, also bird in the bush. So one in, and that's my saying, one in the bush, two in, two in the eye. That's why I wear green when I bird. I uh, looked up what color should I wear while birding at ksbirds.org. It was done by Byron K. Butler. He was originally published in a 1996 issue of the Horned Lark, the quarterly newspaper of the Kansas Ornithological Society. The following article was a response by the author to a question asked him in the internet discussion group Bird Chat. A Bird Chat, I know a lot of us birders here in the birding world know. Um, amazing forum for birders. If you haven't been on Bird Chat before, go on Bird Chat. He's a regular contributor on Bird Chat. You could lose your, yourself in Bird Chat. Yeah, it's it's in a really amazing forum. So thank you so much, Byron. I reviewed his article. He was talking all about what to wear while birding. And now, Martin, uh, you're a fashionable young birder. What do you uh, usually plop on when you're out and about? You know, this time of year, Zan, what I, it's all about. Low. From the, from, give me, don't just give me the brief. Give me the full deal. All right, we're going to go from head to toe. So the first thing I'm going to have, the first thing you're going to encounter right on the top of my skull is going to be a hood. It's going to be a breathable, waterproof hood attached to a rain jacket. And that brings up my first point. We birders shouldn't be wearing hoods. We should be wearing hats. We want to obscure our face as much as possible. Butler made that very clear in the article. These birds are looking at you like essentially you are their predator. You are going to be uh, much less of a predator if you go out there and uh, you have that hat on and maybe backwards to the side, up in front, whatever obscures your face best because you don't want to get those birds seeing your eyes like you see them so well. I hear you and I think Byron's right on and, and the way that I actually obscure my face is to wear a balaclava. For those who don't know, a balaclava is like a hat except that it comes down below your forehead completely down covering your entire head and neck only leaving a small hole for your face just your eyes 
and your mouth if you choose not to cover it with the balaclava. Just enough for that shown. scope and for that, uh, that their binocs to get right in there. You got it just enough for the two tools of the trade. I think that actually you should. It's good to wear that hood. We'll try and keep that hat on as well. I hear you, Zan. Yeah, yeah. Now moving right on down. Okay. If I'm going down from, I'm all the way down to my neck. What we're going to encounter next, underneath that waterproof, breathable fabric rain jacket, uh, is going to be an outer layer. This is typically going to be uh, a down jacket, mm. a mm. thick wool sweater, mm. or button up, mm. and below that mm. would be a mid-weight base layer. Mm. Followed by a lightweight wicking mm. base layer. Mm. Mm. So mm. I'm talking about multiple base layers underneath mm. there. Mm. Now on my hands to keep mm. warm, I am going to wear a thin pair mm. of gloves. Mm. Now I like to have the dexterity of gloves mm. having all my fingers separate. Mm. As opposed to mittens. Mm. Some birders find that they can operate their binoculars with mm. mittens. Not me, Zan. Mm. Not me. Mm. That's my hands. Mm. Now, going down, I am going to be wearing just more layers and layers. Mm. I've got rain pants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then I've got warm pants, maybe mm -hmm. even a pair of wool pants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Below that, I'm going to have some kind of nice merino wool mm -hmm. base layer to keep those mm -hmm. legs warm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As we go farther down, this gets to the part that everybody knows. You go out there birding, you're walking slow. Your feet can just get like ice. So, I wear silk liners, <laughs> followed by a pair of light wool socks, Okay. followed by a pair of thick wool socks. Gotcha. And then they're all stuffed inside of my thick, warm winter boots. Well, see, that's the dedication we like to bring to birding on our show. Even in hot weather, Martin is wearing a lot of gear. So, to sort of summarize what he's saying, avoid anything that reflects UV rays. You don't want these birds catching something off guard. If you got UV rays on, these birds are gonna see, you're gonna spot you like a like a little dime, even at the bottom of a pool or something. Avoid wearing bright colors as a general rule. You might want to wear those bright colors. But just as Butler says, uh, you're gonna have to act like a Florida photographer if you got um, you got bright colors on. You're gonna have to be walking around constantly. Uh, every time Butler's been, he's gone to Florida and done birding seminars and, and different birding events down in Florida. And um, Butler says uh, uh, you're gonna be a Florida photographer if you if you have to wear those bright colors because they are constantly moving. These Florida photographers. That is a whole different birding scene down in Florida. Yeah, it it, it uh, completely. Also. Hat is is key. Number one, avoid jerky and fast movements. Uh, so when we walk and when we bird, I like to almost call it dancing because you're doing a dance mm. with the bird. I'd say as you're walking, you're kind of dancing along. When you're dancing and prancing out there, you should really avoid those sort of jerky, fast dances. Not like uh, the young set sort of listens to that sort of unusual music nowadays. And I know a lot of birders out there, they love the idea of being able to kind of go incognito. But wearing camo just, it makes them feel a mm. little reserved. They're a little hesitant, thinking, yeah. you know, they don't want to be confused as somebody who would go out there and actually take the life of these birds. Right. So, you know, is camo something that Byron is saying we should do? Byron says camo is a go. So wear as much camo as you want. Uh, please do. 
uh, don't be distracted by these hunters out there, you know? I mean, if you're going to be that distracted, you, maybe you shouldn't be birding even because you got to live your life to the fullest. Don't think about what people want you to think, you know? Come on, just do it. Wear the camo. Who cares? And I got to say, uh, Butler says it best uh, in this situation because we do stop and um, fill up lists. I got to say, as birders, and uh, we need to stop doing that. We just need a bird for the sheer joy of birding. Go out and view those birds. Look at those birds. Uh, you want to see them anyways, so just look at them. And list, list when you want, list when you don't want, you know? Stop and smell the roses. I think that's what, but I think that's, if Butler could say this was, this piece was about one thing, he would say, stop and smell the roses. I love it, This is plain as that. Uh, we actually opened this show. We've gone so far into this show. There's one thing we've been missing. Yeah. And that is... Uh, uh, so many people be always talking They want the whole world to hear what they get to say Well, don't just a warning, they ain't in trouble Okay, all right. It is I like that. Break in the weather. All right, all right. Break in the winter weather. The coots dive often and longer now. Break in the winter weather. The coots dive often and longer now. <laughs> Birds out there, birds everywhere. As my, as my grandfather said. <laughs> All right. So for this next uh, birders event on the show, we have what we'd like to call here at Aviary Paragraph, Birders Fib. It's a. Uh, uh, I'm gonna stop you there, Zan. Uh, why? Why are you gonna stop me? I don't think we're about to do Birders Fib. Uh, that is now, right. We I canceled think... it last show. We aren't doing it again. I'm gonna... I told you that. <laughs> I, t I told you we aren't doing Birders Fib again. And here you have me saying on our note cards here in the studio, I'm doing Birders Fib here. Uh, yeah, what I'm gonna call this one, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, take a little uh, agency on this one. I'm gonna call this Birders Tale. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah uh, Birders Tale. This one's actually coming from me, Martin Salinas. <laughs> Thank you. 
So I was out birding, wearing a lot of birder's gear. I had uh, my scope, and I was spotting some incredible waterfowl. Now, mixed in amongst these ducks were a couple of American coots. An American coot actually diving under the water to get food. And when it came up, an amazing bird behavior. Now, we talked earlier about conspecific brood parasitism, but what I saw was not conspecific brood parasitism. It was kleptoparasitism. And that's when one bird waits for another bird to get food and then snatches it right away. So as soon as that coot would come up... That one bird probably didn't like that other bird. The widgeon would just go in and take the food right out of the coot's mouth. Yeah, coot right. went back under. Came up with a little stickleback fish. What do you Man. think that widgeon did, Zan? Probably came by, uh, took, the bird, uh, took the bird, I mean the fish, I guess. It took the fish. That's yeah. a classic kleptoparasitism. Wow. <laughs> Birder's tale. Yeah, well, that was a beautiful tale, and I gotta tell you, it's a beautiful show. Because we have this beautiful show, we do enjoy talking about birds. And um, that's also why we must end our beautiful show. And uh, unfortunately, this is the end. We have reached the end of Aviary Paragraph. It was, it's, it's been a very, very beautiful show. I've, I've, I've loved watching every minute of it. Um, this is Zan Lars. i got to sign off here. And you know what we always say. Get out there and go bird. This is Martin Salinas. I used to feel oh so bad I used to worry about all the people that feel sad I used to be so concerned with it A lot of people don't know it.